sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Douglas Cornelius. Well, good morning again. This morning is Christ the King Sunday. Uh, You may have noticed that theme running through some of our praise songs, Christ the King Sunday. This is actually the last Sunday of our liturgical year. So our church has its own calendar, right? And it begins, of course, with the first week of Advent, right? That makes sense. We're leading up to the birth of Christ, right? Um, Next week begins Advent, which means if you go through the whole year of Sundays, the last Sunday of the year is Christ the King Sunday, when we remember that Christ is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and uh, not only rules over all, but will come again to do so. So these are the themes uh, for this morning. You may have heard them already. It will also uh, explain our scriptures, but the nice thing is... Uh, the Christ the King Sunday leads very beautifully into Advent again, right? As you circle back around the calendar, when we anticipate the arrival of the Christ child and the infant king, right? So our first text will kind of look ahead to Advent, and our second text will give us some thoughts to reflect on for Christ the King Sunday. Our first text is from the prophet Isaiah, Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Hear the word of the Lord. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our second text is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Here again, the word of the Lord. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. For he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So I want to do a little thought experiment with you today, okay? A little thought experiment as we get started. I want you to imagine that you have 
late teenage to college-aged children, okay? Some of you may have to think back and remember when your own kids were that age. Some of you may have to imagine even having children. You, you didn't have children yourself. Some, like me, may have to think of our own children, but kind of project forward years down the road. Others of you have kids that are that age right now, so you don't have to do any imagining at all. But I want you to imagine that you have late teenage to college age kids, and I want you to imagine that you're headed out of town for a couple weeks, okay? You and your spouse or the other adults, you know, you're headed out of town for a couple weeks, and that leaves your house basically unattended. So here's the question. Do you ask your kids to watch the house while you're away? They're late teenagers, they're college age. Do you ask them to watch the house when you're away? Now, some of you probably thought, well, of course. I mean, that makes sense. That's the easiest ask, right? It makes the most sense, no problem. But others of you, who maybe groaned a little or laughed when I asked the question. I saw some shaking of heads, no way. You think, listen, Doug, I have a list of people that I would let watch my house while I am away for a couple weeks. My children are somewhere between numbers 167 and 193 on that list, okay? They're, uh, they're right below my neighbor's seven-year-old, who's somehow more mature than them. Uh, and right above, uh, you know, the new neighbor I don't know that probably has a rap sheet, all right? Somewhere in between there, that's where my kids are. Uh, I'm upset that you even asked. And yeah, this, is, this could be our reaction, right? It kind of depends on what kind of kids we have, where they are at that age in life. It, it depends on their maturity, their decision-making, their social life at that age. It depends on the kind of kid that we're talking about. Here's another, here's another thought experiment, okay? I want you to imagine that you found out that none of your family can come for Thanksgiving. All right, no family members are able to make it this year. They all have other plans, extenuating circumstances. So it will be a quiet Thanksgiving. Maybe just you and your spouse, or you and a couple friends. Maybe even just you, a quiet year, no big plans. But then, a few days before Thanksgiving, I come to you and I say, hey, guess what? A miracle happened. Your family, some of your family members, are able to make it for Thanksgiving. They're coming. Now, some of you will say, oh, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. A quiet Thanksgiving, it, it did sound nice, but, you know, it's always better with family around. But others, and I won't make you raise your hands because we're live streaming out to the world right now. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Others, before you responded with joy and celebration, when I said, it turns out some of your family members are able to make it for Christmas, uh, for Thanksgiving, you might lean in and say, Okay, which family members? <laughs> which ones, right? Whether you react with joy or not might matter on which ones are able to make it, right? Life rarely operates 
in black and white. Often we live in the gray where how we react, how we feel, how we think, how we choose or decide, how we live is dictated by circumstances, by what the situation calls for or demands. Many times the emotions we feel, the responses we have, the decisions we make, it all depends, right? It depends on the circumstances. It depends on the people involved. It depends on where we are in life or what other factors are at play. It just kind of depends. It depends. Well, I had the honor of joining our youth on the senior high retreat last weekend. Our senior hires were out at Black Rock Retreat Center and at Maddie's Invitation. I made it up there on Saturday night and got to hang out with the kids and the leaders a little bit. And I even took part in a, in a small panel. It was myself and another pastor. He was a Methodist minister. And we were, we were sort of a panel that the kids could ask questions of faith or questions about whatever. And one of the questions that the kids gave us is why we chose to be Presbyterian or Methodist as opposed to any other denomination or tradition. And one of the biggest reasons that I became Presbyterian, and I told this to the kids, is because the power in the church the decision-making in the church, the, it rests kind of with everybody. All right? We have a system and a structure in place where the pastor, despite being a spiritual shepherd and a guide, the pastor doesn't get too much authority. Because as a representative form of government, the power ultimately lies with the people, with the congregation. It's from the ground up, Right? Now, there's a time when a pastor needs to act and needs to be decisive. And I always liked the Presbyterian system because I knew even from the earliest days in ministry that while there were opportunities to afford you that ability to act and you could do it when you needed to, I thought even from my earliest days, you know, God works and speaks through all the people not just the head pastor, the spirit moves through the whole community. Not just myself and Jonathan. God isn't speaking just to us. Spirit isn't moving only in me. We are all in this together. And I thought something that looked akin to representative democracy, that sounded like a good way to run a church. And that's what the Presbyterian system offers. And so when I heard that, I was in. I'll be a Presbyterian. So, you know, as your pastor, I'll offer leadership. And I'll have a guiding vision. And I will help to lead our church. But I'm also a man of the people as well. I'm not going to change something that the congregation loves and is working for the congregation. And if I do, it's probably unintentional. Let me give you an example. Last week we had a baptism in our second service. How many of you know what song we sing after a baptism? Say it out loud. Jesus. Jesus okay, good. So you do all know. All right. Uh, no one told me. All right. So we did a, I know, I know, right? 
we did a baptism and we didn't sing Jesus Loves Me for the kid. And people thought, why did he take out Jesus Loves Me? Why did he do that? Is this pastor anti-Jesus Loves Me? No, no pastor is anti-Jesus Loves Me, okay? We all love Jesus Loves Me, this I know. So I'm a man of the people. I'm not going to make changes that the congregation likes. And while representative democracy seems like a pretty good way to run a church or to run a country, at least when we're doing those things well, it's actually not God's chosen form of government. Did you know that? Democracy is not God's way of doing things. God's way is monarchy. Monarchy. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And authority rests on his shoulders. He will establish his throne and his kingdom and will uphold them with justice and righteousness. Isaiah's vision is one of a mighty ruler, a king of all kings. Or in Ephesians, when it tells us God raises Christ above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion, a name that is above every other name. And not just in this age, Paul says, but in the age to come. A king of all kings, a name above all names. That is a monarchy. I mean, it is called the kingdom of God. We talk about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked about these things all the time. And every vision of Christ that we get in the New Testament is one that is not of democratic election where everyone gets a vote to decide whether this Jesus guy should be king or not. We don't get to choose or vote about what's best for our world or our lives or how to live and what is wise. We don't all get a say because it's not a democracy. It's not a democracy. We have a king. And as U.S. citizens, that may feel weird, weird to us, right? That may kind of rub us the wrong way. We may have trouble wrapping our heads around this when we really sit down and think about it. We love to sing King of Kings, and we love to say it around the holidays, but we don't really think about what that means. And we're taught the virtues of democracy from a very young age. We've experienced some of the goodness of democracy throughout our whole lives, we're taught the dangers of monarchies and how easily it can slip into authoritarianism and totalitarianism. Oh, we took our European history classes in high school. We've seen the news from some other parts of the world. We know that a lot of times it doesn't work, that monarchies just don't work. And well, that depends. That depends. It depends 
on what kind of king you have. A monarchy will succeed or fail depending on what kind of king you have. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Wonderful. Everlasting. Peace. Counselor. Father. God. Monarchies don't work for our nations. Because we don't have the Lord Jesus Christ running them. We have mortals, usually men, and usually not even very good ones. We have folks just like us, broken, sinful, weary, hurting, corrupt, ill-equipped, just like all of us. And the monarchy is a system that's bound to fail if you got the wrong man or the wrong woman at the top. The dangers of it going sideways are perhaps greater than in systems where there are representation, where there's representation and where there are lots of checks and balances and all the rest. But with the right king, with the right king, that kingdom can become one of goodness and of light and of peace, of fairness and equity and prosperity and joy, of healing and growth and life and community and that great biblical word, shalom, of people who follow the king willingly, joyfully, happily because they know they are finally, finally in good hands. It just depends on the kind of king. It just takes the right king. Our scriptures, both the ones we read today and so many others, our scriptures promise us that we actually have that king. And next week we begin to anticipate and celebrate his arrival. The king who came and is coming again. So let us remind ourselves that of his kingdom there shall be no end. From this time onward and forevermore, Paul says. Let us remind ourselves that we actually, spiritually, deep down, we aren't citizens of a kingdom. We are subjects. And while the sound of that makes our teeth clench and our our fists tighten and our, our hairs stand up, let us remember that monarchy can be a good thing. It can be the best thing. It can be the way it was meant to be. It can be all we ever hoped for and all we needed in this fallen, war-torn, hurting world. It can be the best thing. It just depends on who you have as your king. Thank God we have ours. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, it is with grateful hearts that we gather in your presence here today. 
This season of the year when we are especially reminded to give thanks. We need those reminders because it's so easy for us to either take for granted the ways in which we've been blessed or to think that we're the ones responsible for them. But Lord God, we are grateful today that we can turn to you and we can say thank you. Thank you for the ways that you provide for our needs. Thank you for the ways that you provide even beyond our needs. And in the process of doing so, giving us the invitation to extend your love in very real and tangible ways to people all around us. Lord God, we are grateful to you for your love for us. We are grateful to you even beyond those things that we've received for the most important thing. And that is that you are our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That you make a way of forgiveness possible. That you make a way that we can be forgiven and we can be in right relationship with you. Lord God, we are grateful for that and we say thank you to you. We recognize, Lord, that in ourselves, we can not make ourselves right with you. In your love and your grace and your mercy, you came to us. And Lord God, we're grateful for that today. We are reminded this morning as we gather in this place of the needs that are in our congregation and are all around us. Or for those who are in the hospital this morning, for those who are facing serious illness, for those who are experiencing the pain and the difficulty of the brokenness of this world, we pray, Lord God, for your healing. We pray, Lord God, for your grace to surround them, that they would know your peace and your comfort and your rest. We're grateful today, Lord God, for the ways that you are at work among us. And we're grateful this morning that we can share together in worshiping you and praying together as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.